Hope it's warm enough, you're nice and cosy. I have to tell you, I'm a little bit nervous. Actually, I'm more nervous than I've been for a long, long time. And it's not because Pastor Harper's here and, and the principal of the college is here and my pastor's here and we have visitors here. It's not. The passage of scripture that I'm going to be going through today has been very, very difficult to try and put together in a sermon. And um, it's been a joy going through it because I know the Lord's got... The problem with it is that there's so much in it. And trying to condense it in a day that, you know, we're cracking 30 degrees and we've got communion and trying to make sure that we get out of here today is, uh, is difficult to go through. So if you could just bow with me in prayer, that uh, the Lord will be honoured through it. Lord God, we just praise you, Father, for your wonderful word. Thank you, dear Lord, that we have it, that we can trust it, that it is wonderful for us to be able to know the will of God for our lives and the wonderful truth of the glorious gospel of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. How I pray, dear Lord, that you'll be with me as I expound this wonderful passage of scripture that we'll go through. I just ask you, dear Lord, that you'll open each of our eyes and our hearts that we will indeed rejoice in the gospel of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Be with me now, indeed, as I, as I preach and... Uh, and hide me indeed behind your cross, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 1. Don't know how much longer we're going to be in Romans chapter 1. We've gone through, this will be the sixth sermon and we're about halfway through. Um, there's so much in it that it's, um, it's been, on the one part, a real joy. And on the other part, a real burden. A real burden to, uh, to bring out the wonderful things that are here. We're going to be going through 10 verses, and uh, we're going to go through them, through them relatively quickly. But it were 10 verses that as much as I tried, and as much as I liked to be able to just grab one verse and pull apart every single word that's there and, and bring out so much of the depth that's there, it was impossible to do, I found, uh, at this particular time with these, with these 10 that, are, that seem to be uh, united together. So Romans chapter 1, and we'll start at verse 7. We're going to read 11 verses to 17, and we're going to be beginning our sermon from verse 8. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by any means, now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end you may be established." That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. In a nutshell, it's about the gospel. This entire portion of scripture is about the gospel. It focuses on it through faith. And it's speaking particularly to the just. Who are the just? Well, we've got it there in, in, uh, in verse 7. It says, To all that be in Rome, and then he says, Beloved of God and called to be saints. If you are beloved of God and you are called to be a saint, then you are indeed, Scripture teaches, the just. You are one of the just that are, uh, that are mentioned to here in the Scripture. So in every way, this portion of scripture is written to you. I don't want you to miss 
what's going to be saying here. So I'm going to read this particular summary at the beginning and I'm going to read it at the end just in case you miss it as we go through. Plainly stated, the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation, is that which reveals the righteousness of God. And the just live by the revelation of the righteousness of God through the gospel of his son. As I went through this, that's what I discovered that this was really talking about. And we'll go through a little bit of it here um, to just bring it a little bit more forward. In verse 9, Paul makes this incredible claim by saying, For God is my witness. That's not something that you would say flippantly. That is something that Paul would have said in the full understanding that God alone is witness to him in this, um, in this particular passage and particularly with what he has for the Romans. Paul knows that the only perfect and faithful witness is the Lord our, the Lord our God in Revelation 1.5. Paul recognises no other witness greater than God They could even witness to his motivation. The Bible says, For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God in 1 Corinthians 2.11. You see, Paul understands that the Lord only is the one who knows both the thoughts and intents of the heart in Hebrews 4.12. Paul understood as we should That God's witness of us is the greatest witness of all. God's witness is, in the end, the only witness that matters. Concerning anything, anything that we do, anything that we say, any way that we behave, any way that we act. It's God's witness that needs to be at the forefront of our mind. It's for God that we do all things for. We find ourselves so many times worried and concerned about what other people think. What other people are concerned about. The entire world seems to be directed in exactly that way. You just have to look at the entertainment industry and the amount of insecurity that's found within that industry is concerned about what man thinks. Paul's not concerned about what man thinks. His ultimate concern is God, for God is his witness. In 1 John 5 9 it says, If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. So it is God's witness that we are to seek. Now, that can both be a real joy for you and a real comfort for you, or it could be a real burden for you. And it really depends on your relationship with the Lord and where you are at with him. But have a look at the next part of exactly the same verse. For God is my witness, whom I serve. Paul's speaking about his relationship here with God, whom I serve. And what's really interesting about this is, this is Paul's relationship with God. Doesn't, doesn't it say that? It says, for God is my witness, whom I serve. Now, the whom is a pronoun. God is the noun. That's the closest one. We see that it's God that he serves. But curiously, at the very, very beginning of the chapter, Paul says this. Have a look at chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Now the Bible teaches really clearly that no man can be the servant of two masters. So what's Paul saying here? Isn't it incredible how we have within the same chapter a recognition Jesus Christ is God. And Paul understands that so perfectly, doesn't he? I mean, for God is his witness. He certainly understands that so perfectly. He's a servant of Jesus Christ and he calls himself here... He says, a God whom he serves. So Paul recognises Jesus Christ as God. And so many times when we went through this with the first couple of sermons, and so many people saying that there's no way in the Bible that teaches that Jesus Christ is God, and yet here we understand Paul recognising that that's exactly what it is and what our Lord is, is God manifest in the flesh. But have a look at the next part of the same verse again. He says, whom I serve with my spirit. The nature of the service of Paul to God is with his spirit. It's the perfect service. It's the only service, again, that matters. It's a service that's complete, that's whole, that's full. And it's the service that we desire more than anything else to render to God. 
We desire to render to God a full service, not a half-hearted service, not a service that's based on, well, I have to do this, or, or murmuring within yourself that I really don't want to be doing this, but I've got to do it anyway because I need to look good in their eyes. His concern is that God's his witness. And he serves with his spirit. It's true, though, that with our own bodies, the Bible says really clearly that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. But we've got to take care, don't we? That only one thing is needful, that good part that shall not be taken away. We shouldn't be like Martha that's always careful and troubled about many things. We need to be able to give the Lord our service and the good part of our service in that regard. It's also true that our mouths can give that service in how we speak, whether we're preaching, whether we're speaking one to another, in the words of edifying how we're talking to the ones that we love. Isn't it interesting how the ones that we love are the ones that always see both the best and the worst part of us? It's tragic, isn't it? But it's so true. It's so true. Within your own family relationships, we're always seeing that, you know. They see the, both the worst and the best part of our lives. Yet, within our own family, we're so loved. But the Lord says that our words shouldn't be words that just to be seen of men, nor to be heard for our much speaking in Matthew 6. We're to be reminded that our Lord said that this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoureth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Matthew 15, 8. We should consider that there are only one of two ways in which we can serve God. One is in the flesh and the other is in the spirit. Brethren, when it's the spirit that serves God, there, can never, there is never a care in what others are doing. Nor is there a concern in our hearts of any wrong motive. To be recognised or rewarded this side of eternity is of little importance or care to those who serve with their spirit. How beautiful to know that what you do here for the Lord will receive eternal reward. How beautiful to know that we don't have to be concerned about what we receive in this life. There's no question the Lord promises blessing to those that trust in Him and honour Him and do things to serve Him. There's no question that that's true. And yet, everything that we have here, everything that we have, house, car, relationships to some people, will be temporary. And yet, the relationships that we're going to have with the brethren is forever. And the reward that we have will be forever. Turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And go to verse 5. The Lord says, And when thou prayest, Thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. When you note the context of that verse, you will note that their words are their prayers. You see that our prayers are a form of worship. Our Lord notes that they have received their reward. When our prayers are given just to be seen of men, as the Pharisees were here, the Lord says there are basically two types of reward. They've received it. They've received it. They've received it now. There's also a reward that's in eternity, and it's for eternity. Your concern shouldn't be what you do for men, what you do on their behalf. We are to serve God in the Spirit, just as Paul did, and as Paul was preaching here. Paul's very mention that he serves God in the Spirit distinguishes itself from worshipping Him in the flesh. This reminds us of his statement in Philippians 3.3. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. One is the antithesis of the other. Worshipping God in the Spirit can only be done when we have no confidence in the flesh. 
You know, we know that whenever we're serving the Lord and we're serving Him with all our heart, we've got to take care that we're doing everything, everything that we can through Him and not through ourselves. You know, because we fail, we fall. We're broken vessels in so many ways. And yet if we're doing things through the Spirit of God and trusting in Him, then the end result is His issue, not ours. The end result of what we do becomes for the Lord to deal with and not ourselves to answer for. If we're doing things with respect to just serving the Lord and serving Him with, uh, with the Spirit of God. And the next part of this same verse He says, For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. Last week, I think we received a number of of people put their names down on a list to be able to serve the Lord here. It was a formal list. It was a list of those that are going to be working in some form of leadership, those that have volunteered to be working in some form of leadership. And it's a real blessing. It was a blessing to see the the list so full. Um, of people in such a small church being wanting to fill all these different ministries. Um, But I have to say with a a great degree of confidence that our ultimate purpose is that we're serving in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we're serving in the gospel of His Son. That's our whole purpose here. And as a church, that's our whole purpose. And we need to be very, very careful that we don't, don't lose sight of that. The gospel is by far the most important thing that we should be doing here, this side of eternity. I don't have any real reason to be still hanging around. There's there's no reason for me to still be here. I'm saved. I can be with the Lord. He can take me and it's not a problem. the The only reason for me to be here is to be able to work in the service of the Lord and the gospel of His Son. Is that yours? Is that how you feel? Is that why you're still here? Is that why you know you're still here? Because if you're only here to serve in the gospel of the world, you're wasting your time. You're really wasting your time. It's, it's, a, it's an effort in futility. Because all it will lead to is frustration, downcast, and we know that road. We know the direction that that road's going to take us. We know so clearly. A long time ago... Um, when Saskia was in uh, first year of primary school, we had a teacher, and, uh, and she said, oh, look, Saskia's going to do really well, you know. Like, how do you know that? She's in prep, you know. And the teacher's been around for a long, long time. She's taught a lot of people that are today in jail, that are football players, that are doing very well. And she said, it's amazing how you can tell exactly the end road of a child by their behaviour at such a young age. And you all sit there thinking, a lot of people sit there thinking, oh, you can't really tell, you can't know, you can't know for certain. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Because there is a direction where they set their path and move. And with all certainty, you can say within your heart as Christians, there but for Christ go I. That's our direction. You see, unless something... Something so dramatic occurs within someone's life that a new heart is actually given them unless something dramatically changes within their life, their trajectory is set. Their course is already laid out in front of them. There has to be a change. The change can't be a superficial, I'll determine it within my own heart and within my own mind, I'll do it by sheer willpower. That never changes. The, direct, the, the trajectory of an individual is already set based on... Oh, well, where they're already going. And tragically, for so many people, that direction is going to find themselves in hell at the end of their life. Now, the Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die, and after that the judgment. Your role and mine is to do everything we can to stop that from occurring in people's lives, to compel them to come in and know the Lord. Paul brings now in that same verse where he says, For God is my witness whom I serve in my spirit and the gospel of his Son. 
The witnessing is that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Every time Paul bowed his knees to pray, he would be bringing to his mind these people, these people within the churches, within so many churches. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 for a moment, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We were just there. Oh no, we're in 1 Corinthians, that's right. Sorry. I failed already. Alright. Chapter 11. And have a look at from... um, Read from verse 22. During this particular time, you need to consider that Paul was under a lot of questioning. There were people questioning his authority. And he's forced here to almost give some sort of defence for himself. And look at what he says and look at what he's gone through. And then think of how he finishes this. He says from verse 22, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labours more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Incredible minister this man was. And isn't it true when the Lord says, when they, uh, they, he speaks about Paul, when they were fearing Paul, and they said, wasn't this the one that persecuted all the churches? And the Lord said simply, that he is a chosen vessel unto me, and I will show him how many things he needs to suffer for my sake. Has he not suffered? Has he not suffered for the sake of the Lord our Saviour? He suffered indeed. He suffered indeed. But the care of all the churches. Without ceasing, he prays to these churches. Now, in particular with this one, what he's praying here in verse 10 is he's making request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. So Paul's desire is that he will have a prosperous journey by the will of God. Now understand and know that if it is by the will of God, it is indeed going to be prosperous. He recognises that and understands it. Have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. Now, prosperous journey. How do you describe and define a prosperous journey? Three times he got in a shipwreck. I mean, it was so dangerous. I mean, if, if you knew that you were going to be jumping on a ship and Paul was going to be going on it, it's probably safer not to jump on. Three times he suffered shipwrecked. And yet Paul makes it really clear here that if it's God's will, it will be prosperous. Prosperous this side of eternity? Well, I don't know. Prosperous as far as we think prosperous is concerned? I guarantee you not. But if it is the will of God, if the will of God be so, it will be prosperous. I finished reading a book that Brother David lent me. Five men that... um, that went to witness to a tribal people, a people that never heard of the Lord, a people that were incredibly violent. All five of them lost their lives in that endeavour. All five. Young men too. Young men. Not old men. Not that that's any less important. But prosperity, as far as God is concerned, in his eyes, is so much more different than the prosperity that we see in our eyes. You remember the last time I preached, I was comparing the faith that we have today with the faith that Paul speaks about here in Scripture in verse 8, where he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Remember that in that sermon, I brought out the history of the faith that was spoken of throughout the whole world. We recognise clearly that if it was spoken of throughout the whole world, it had to set itself apart from the whole world. So what was that faith like? 
And there were so many different historical references that we brought forward. And people killed in all manner of ways. And tragic stuff and things that I really didn't even, I didn't even bring out fully. Prosperous. If it's prosperous. If it's the Lord's will, it's going to be prosperous. These people gave their lives. Why? They gave them to the Lord. And they gave them for the Lord. And indeed, the scripture says that they will receive a better resurrection. Wow. Prosperous journey by the will of God. In verse 11, he says, For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end you may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Firstly, note that Paul recognises that if... Oh, we said that. That's going to be a prosperous journey. Sorry, I'm ahead of my notes. My apologies. Secondly, note that the purpose of coming is that he may be comforted together with them by their mutual faith. Verse 12 explains verse 11. Have a look at it. He says, For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end you may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. The reason of coming together, as far as Paul is concerned here, is that there will be a comfort and that there will be a rejoicing in that mutual faith. Christians, the reason we come to church the reason we come here together, one, one another together here, is that we will, A, obviously sit under the, uh, the teaching of the Word of God and the Scriptures and be blessed and grow as a result of that. But also the time that we have in fellowship is really vitally important. Why? Because we have fellowship one with another. You know, I find it hard to leave sometimes. Most times. Yeah, pretty much all the time. I find it really hard to get out of here. I just get caught talking to people that love talking about the Lord, you know. And, and I'm blessed within this church to have so many people that actually feel the same way. Uh, the church that I was from didn't feel that way. I would naturally congregate to a small group that only wanted to talk about the Lord. But anyone else, if you found yourself in church with someone else, you know, the sermon was finished, it was done, you know. And, uh, you know, you get up and you go, oh, how are you going? Oh, mate, dogs are doing really bad at the moment. Really, you know, talking about the footy. And, and not that that's bad in itself, but the, the focus wasn't on the Lord. It was on everything else. And they couldn't wait to go. Couldn't wait to get out of there. Yep, done my time. Right, it's time to go. You know, and they're out. You know, so we come to church, we do it. But that's not what we gather. We don't gather for that reason. We gather for the very reason that we are to comfort one another. By the mutual faith. Have a look at Hebrews chapter 10, please. There's only actually going to be four times we're going to be going anywhere from this. So keep your finger in Romans. We're going to stay there. But go to Hebrews chapter 10. Someone said to me a while ago, there's nowhere in the Bible where it says that we really need to be coming to church. Well... I disagreed with them. I didn't know exactly where it was at the time. I knew it was in Hebrews, but I couldn't, couldn't put my finger on where. Um, and this gives you a bit of an understanding to it. So have a look at Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verse 22. The Bible says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and with our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Why do we get together? Why do we get together? To exhort one another. To provoke one another in love. Notice it doesn't say to, to, to provoke one another in evil, in wickedness. Notice it doesn't say, oh, did you have a smoke last night? Yeah, I smoked last night too. Well, thank God we got grace, eh? Thank God we got grace. That's fantastic, you know? Did you do this? Did you do that? Oh, no, I know. I do it too, you know? No. It's to provoke one another in love, in holiness, to exhort one another, to encourage one another in the faith. Is it hard to live as a Christian? No. No, it's not hard to live as a Christian. It's impossible. 
And because it's so impossible to live as a Christian, we are to encourage one another. We are to encourage one another in the faith, continually exhorting one another. That's why we get together. And you know, when you're not here, there's people that are missing you. There's people that are going through stuff at the moment that you've gone through and when you're not here, they have no hope and no ability to get over it because they need you. But they don't need you to be just sitting there. They need you to grow in the faith. You think that sin just has effect on you alone. It doesn't. Brethren, it doesn't. It doesn't just affect you. It affects everyone around you. And God's given us everything, hasn't he? He's given us a salvation that we can't lose. Why? Because we did nothing to gain it. It was Christ that died. It was Christ that went to the cross for our sins. So if we've got a salvation that's sure and steadfast and the Lord holds us so tightly within his grip and we've got a salvation that is absolutely sure and then he says to us that we are to confess our sins, that he is, right, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, we have a tool that we can use. Hey, you don't use it flippantly. You don't use it as a licentious endeavour. Yeah, I'll sin now and, and ask for forgiveness later. No, you can't do that. Why? You can't do that because that's not your heart's desire. If you're born again, you truly, truly want to live that righteous life that he has for you. What else has he got? We have our Lord who is making intercession for us on our behalf. We have everything that we need to be able to grow and to learn to live a righteous, godly life. Please, sin can really destroy you if you let it. If you are sold Satan's lie that this is how it is for you, you're never going to get over this. You're just going to have to bear with it, grit your teeth, and just uh, give up trying to be a Christian. Satan told um, John... Oh, I can't believe Pilgrim's Progress. Bunyan. Bunyan. Told him exactly the same thing. He said, you know, I have your whole life to inflict you. Just give up. Just give up. And yet he that is within me is greater than he that is in the world. You know? He that is within me is greater than he that is in the world. Why? Because he's overcome the world. He's overcome the world. You know? And I know in whom I trust and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him until that day. Guys, you have every encouragement in the world to grow in the Lord. But be here. Be at church. When you're thinking of someone, pray for them. You know? And when you do pray for them, don't feel bad about sending them a message and letting them know, I've been praying for you, brother. Because I tell you, sometimes you really need to know that there's other people out there thinking of you. You really do need to know it. Ephesians 4.13 says... Till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The end result is that Christ will be fully formed in us. Ah, that's a joy. That's such a joy. The next five verses. Okay, I've only got about 15 minutes to try and get through this. The next five verses is really important because I want you to see that this brings together the entire portion of Scripture. Okay, it's, it, As I said, it was difficult to go through this because, well, see, the problem that I've got is that there's, there's so many conjunctions. I mean, at the beginning of every verse, there's so, there's for, there's a semicolon. It's like one continuous sentence almost. You know, You can't take away from one thought before the next one follows directly on one from another and that's why I found this so hard to sort of break up I could have broken it up I'm sure but the Lord pestered me in a way that I couldn't take away from it so he says in verse 13 and now I would not have you ignorant brethren that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you but was let hitherto that I might have some fruit among you also even as among other Gentiles Verse 14, he says, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. 
So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Verse 13, Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purpose to come unto you, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. Firstly note that Paul links another, it would seem, purpose to come to them, that I might have some fruit among you. So before we had that he wanted, he was looking for the comfort and that reassurance and the mutual faith. But now he says, in almost the same breath, I come to get fruit among you. Now, what sort of fruit is he talking about here? Well, we need to think that he's speaking about fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. Have a look at the next verse. And he'll describe those Gentiles for us. He says, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. I love the way scripture works and how it words things. You know what I mean? One term is defined by another. If you want a dictionary for the Bible, you've got it. It's the Bible. Okay, that's it. Lord defines his own terms and it's so wonderful. Who are the wise? Well, the Greeks. The Greeks are the wise. It says, I'm debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. Now, why are the barbarians unwise? Well, they didn't speak Greek. You know, they're the only barbarians, the ones that don't actually speak Greek, as far as I'm aware. But have a look at what he says. He says, I am debtor. I am a debtor. In other words, I am owed something. No, no, sorry. I owe something. My, my apologies. Oh, my bookkeeper would never forgive me if I did that, got that wrong. It's an interesting phrase, I'm a debtor. To be indebted to someone is to owe something to them. That is, that you have received a gain to you of greater benefit than that which you have given. We get that? I have received a gain of greater benefit than that which I have given. It leaves me in debt. Paul is speaking about receiving fruit. He's speaking about being comforted. And he's also saying that he's indebted to them. I mean, Paul was the one that preached the gospel to them, wasn't he? And yet through the preaching of the gospel, there's some sort of indication here that he is actually gaining something in return that is almost better than what he's giving out. Now, I don't think anything could be better than the gospel. I'm not saying that. But you understand that when you're sharing the gospel with someone, if you've shared the gospel with someone, and I, and I won't ask for a show of hands, but how do you feel? Regardless of whether they actually come to the faith or they don't come to the faith, how do you feel? It's, it's pretty good, isn't it? I mean, it's like a real high, you know? Yeah, they've rejected it. Yeah, they've told you to go home, you know? Yeah, they've... But some, some have grabbed something, just a little thing, just something small. And you leave there feeling really lifted up. You really enjoy it. And that's just sharing the gospel. You can imagine how Pastor Frank feels when he's up here preaching the word of God to you and what he receives in return. Just such a blessing. David the same, myself the same. All our brethren, all our brothers, exactly the same. When we, when we stand here and preach the word of God, we receive a real joy and a real blessing out of it. And more so when we actually see those respond and growing. And you can see it, you know. You can see it. You can see when someone's growing. You can identify it. They stand out. Why do they stand out? Uh, they just love talking about the Lord, I guess. You know, it's a real blessing. I've really gotten ahead of myself. This is really good. Okay. So we spoke about these incredible links. And that's, I just want to draw your attention to that as well. When you look at those words at the beginning of each of one of those verses... And you look at, um, say, verse 15, we have the word so. Well, so is there, it links the next part as well. On verse 14, he says, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So, as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Do you see now the link? Do you see now that the preaching of the gospel leaves him indebted? 
Because he receives fruit by the preaching of the gospel. I love it. And then you have another conjunction there in verse 16. Another conjunction is for, the word for. So he goes in, in 15, he says, So as much as it is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel and the gospel alone has the power to save men from hell when they die. And we all die. It's inevitable. The Bible says, And it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. Nothing other than the... Other than the other, excuse me. Nothing other than... I should stop putting those words together. Only the gospel can save someone from hell. And only the preaching of the gospel proper can do it. Is it your power? No. Is it your ability? No. Is it how, how well you speak? No. No. A little child had the ability to convert his grandfather when his grandfather had already had the gospel drummed into him year after year after year by the child's parents. And that child converted the granddad's heart. Why? How? It's the gospel that has power. And through my weakness, he's made strong. It's nothing in you. Be faithful in how you share the gospel. You don't need to tantalise their minds with apologetics. That was my problem. My problem was, see, I was a sceptic, still am to a large degree, and I would try and convince people by, by, by their mind. But the Bible says, a man that, that, that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And the Bible says, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest, in Acts chapter 37. The Bible doesn't say if you believe with all your mind. Why? Because the devils believe and tremble. So it can't be a head knowledge thing. It has to be a heart knowledge him thing. And then in Jeremiah, it actually says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. When you put all that together, you start realising that what does the heart deceive? Well, the heart deceives the mind. So if the heart deceives the mind and the mind is deceived by the heart, then it's not the mind that needs to be converted, but the heart. And that's what the gospel penetrates. You see? That's what the gospel penetrates. It pierces the heart, not the mind. You waste your time if you're trying to convince someone against their will who will be of the same opinion still. I didn't make that up. That's, that's old. You understand? So it's the gospel. It's the gospel. And the gospel alone. Perfectly preached. Not perfectly preached. Jesus Christ died on the cross. Um, we've got it in, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, I think. And, and Paul lays that out really clearly for us. But there is sustenance. And I'm just about done. There is sustenance here that we're not aware of. There is something that sustains Paul when he preaches the gospel. There's something that gives him encouragement. There's something that fuels his fire. There's something there to which he says, I am a debtor. Last passage to turn to. Turn to John chapter 4, please. Any of you will recognise this portion of the scripture. And it's wonderful because you're hearing this directly from the Lord himself. As he is sharing the gospel of himself to the woman at the well. And have a look at how this, um, how this progresses through. We'll begin at, um, begin at verse 5. Begin at verse 5. You all there? Okay. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. And it was about the sixth hour, there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto, us, unto the city to buy meat. Now, do anybody know what meat is? Is it talking about steak, talking about rump steak and stuff like that? What does meat refer to in Scripture? Food, yeah? It refers to food. Okay. 
So I just need to make sure I got that clear. I know you all Christians for a long time, but it's really good to get that clear. Verse 9. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water, that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and, the, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidest thou truly. Saidest thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship what ye, ye worship ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Jesus has just told her the gospel. He has presented the gospel visibly in front of her. He has presented himself to her who was seeking the Messiah. Who was seeking the Messiah. Verse 27. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou? Or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went away into the city and saith to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples to one another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Jesus just told us that in the sharing of the gospel, he receives that nourishment that he needs to do the will of God, to finish the work of God. And how do we do this? We do this based on our own understanding of things? No. Back to Romans. Verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. It's the revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that which we are to live by. It's that that reveals the wonderful righteousness of God. It is that which we are to live by. The faith that we do, the faith that we enact, the faith that we share the gospel is the faith in knowing that this is what reveals the righteousness of God. It's the gospel that does it. And in that, we receive that sustenance that we need. And if we don't do it, well, perhaps we're starving our faith. 
Perhaps in one way or another we're starving our faith. And perhaps that's why in the last days the Lord asked the question. And he says, when I return, will there be faith on the earth? Our ears indeed are dull of hearing. And our eyes are open, but they can't see. And that's what we're seeing happening within the church worldwide today. We're seeing it happening. There's so few people that are sharing the gospel. There's so few. It breaks our heart. But you ought to be encouraged. You ought to be encouraged because you have eyes that see. You ought to be encouraged because you have ears that hear. Only believe and trust in the Lord. Trust in Him. Trust in Him with all that faith. Trust in Him that the righteousness of God is revealed when you share the gospel. When you receive something out of the Word of God, or when you, when, when you get an answer to prayer, does it not encourage you? Exactly the same thing happens when you share the gospel. Because you see two things happening. You see one person's eyes and mind and heart slowly open up. You see something else happening too. You see them slam shut. You see them slam shut. It's interesting, isn't it? You can't be a fence-sitter with this. It's really interesting. You only ever have one or two responses to the gospel. Isn't it interesting as well that when you preach the word of God and when you... You only ever get one or two responses from the congregation as well. This is one of the things that we are so encouraged with. Because when you preach the word of God and it creates... Division's too strong a word. I don't want to use that. But I've just said it, so I've sort of just used it. The Lord came to separate. To separate light from darkness, good from evil, truth from lies. He came to separate. And when the gospel is well preached, where the word of God is well taught, according to the word of God, there will only be one of two responses. Chairs that are filled or feet that are walking. One of two, you know. And I praise God that we have people within this church that love the Lord and love the Word of God. But I would encourage you to grow. Trust in that Word. Share the Gospel with someone this week. And test this, the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much, dear Lord, for your words. I thank you for the wonderful joy of the Scriptures. I thank you for its simplicity and understanding, dear God, that you have given us the Word of God that we can rejoice in. And dear Lord, let us also approach the Scriptures when we find difficult things. Let us also rejoice. Things that are hard for us to understand, let us rejoice, Lord, that we have yet to grow. That there are things, more things yet that we are to unravel. More treasures that we can dig in every day that we, we, we read the Scriptures. And Lord, I pray that you will encourage my brethren here, that they will indeed, this week even, take that step of courage and share the wonderful gospel. Share that wonderful truth that the righteousness of God will be revealed from faith to faith and that we, the just, shall live by faith. In your wonderful and precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you.